0: wmqa hello and welcome to wmqa i'm dan Grote,
1: and i'm matt laswitz
0: and this week's guest is the co-writer of the dark horse graphic novel renegade rule ben Kahn. welcome ben
2: hey thank you for having me good to be here
0: so uh we will start uh where we usually start with the icebreaker uh what are what are some of the first comics that you remember reading
2: Yeah, so for me, I feel like I kind of came to comics in various phases. Sure. There was the early 2000s webcomic, like starting reading those, Mm -hmm. you know, lots of, uh, you know, your sprite comics and whatnot. And when it was all those, when there was no webtoons and there there were and it was the Wild West days of everyone having their own website and everything like that. Sure, yeah. Um. And then, you know, uh, I started reading more manga, like uh, mostly Naruto, Bleach, and Death Note kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then really when I got to college, uh, I kind of really discovered really uh, Western comics for the first time after, you know, like every 90s kid growing up with X-Men, Spider-Man, Batman especially. Uh, But it was really college when I really started diving into Marvel, DC, catching up on a lot of trades like you know your cl- your regular classic uh, Watchmen, Killing Joke stuff like that, but then also diving into a lot of uh, Vertigo stuff, uh, Swamp Thing, mm-hmm. um, uh, Invisible Sand. I mean Sandman especially, um, and uh, you know Fifty Two uh, kind of got me into the DC universe in a way just beyond Batman and where Batman's friends live. And at the time, the comics that were the big two comics that were going on that really got me. Oh, and Preacher. Preacher was also definitely a big one for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But then what kind of got the comics that kind of got me moved me from someone who just read trades and was catching up on all this infinite feeling history uh, to reading monthly comics was at DC uh, because this was late 2000s. So um, uh, at DC, it was a lot of, uh, Jeff Johns' Green Lantern and Grant Morrison's Batman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then on the Marvel side, it was a lot of uh, Dark Reign, a comic that I maintain just came out a decade too early. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think we were having that exact conversation off mic with a guest. Last week. Within the past two weeks. <laughs> yeah, last week.
2: Because, man, I remember reading Dark Rain in 2009 being like, man, it's some good comics. Like, I'm sure having fun. But really, the whole U.S. government just gets turned over to Norman Osborn and everyone's just okay with it. Then you read that shit in the late 2010s, you're like, "Ah, oh, no, yeah, they nailed it. <laughs> yeah, fucking,
0: yeah, that is how that would go. The prophet Brian Michael Bendis. <laughs> uh Yikes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But also, that was, I feel, one of the few times where they kind of had an overarching theme for this whole shared line, and it was actually pretty compelling, and they kept it pretty consistent across, like, pretty much all the titles, and uh, it was just a very cohesive and unique era of Marvel, I think. as a, I don't know, just... I came into it late enough in life to never be like, oh, it should be like when I was a kid. Because it was never like how I was a kid. I wasn't reading when I was a kid. I was reading as a fucking shitty college student. Um, But I definitely have a little bit of fondness for those eras when I came in. So, um, you know, Dick Grayson as Batman uh, and a lot of that uh, New Avengers when they were on the run and Dark Avengers stuff. So I I definitely have a, a... A fond spot in my heart for like those Concepts and directions
0: Uh, I should point out for the listener uh, Every time uh, Ben mentions uh, Morrison era Batman And and Dick as Batman Matt smiles just a little
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's good stuff It
2: is great comics Absolutely For some Um, reason usually And I'm really And I've been really enjoying uh, the current run on Nightwing but usually I find my favorite Dick Grayson stories are when he's not Robin or Nightwing. It's usually when he's Batman or doing super spy stuff.
1: Mm. Grayson, another great run, that Grayson ongoing and that Janine art was just Jeff's kiss.
2: I feel like they sold it as it's Dick Grayson doing James Bond, but it was really Dick Grayson doing Archer? In the DC universe, and I feel like that worked so much better. (laughs) It
1: really is. Yeah, I mean, Huntress is Lana, and... Yeah, he was Sterling.
2: Like, it really settled nicely into that classic, like, dynamic.
1: Yeah, although uh, Tiger was a much more dynamic foil than Cyril, at least when it came to, you know, combat scenes.
2: Yeah, oh, yeah. Also, I love that Huntress design when very good. I always love when they give them like a more real world or high fashion design that always incorporates the colors and icon- or iconography of their more classic costumes. More superheroes dressing like Jojo's Bizarre Adventure characters. That's what I want.
0: <laughs> right on.
2: Like the Mister Knight costume for Moon Knight? Oh, that is so up my alley.
0: That is good shit. That is is absolutely good shit.
2: (laughs) And how good is Oscar Isaac going to look in that suit?
1: Oh, I, I, that is going to be a, that is appointment. I guess as close to appointment television as streaming can be.
0: Well, I mean, considering they drop one episode a week on on the Disney Plus, yeah, it's kind of back. It is back to appointment television.
2: I feel well, like it's the appointment's weird, yeah. at seven
0: a.m., so you beat the internet. But it's a...
2: <laughs> blo- oh my god! The, can we get a little bit of time on the spoilers,
1: people? <laughs> it's not even the spoiler. I mean, it's it's you look at the um, you you log on to Twitter and you just see trending topics, and yeah, I'm like, a- oh, I guess Kang appears in this episode.
2: <laughs> uh, I know it's a weird point to give like particular praise to Phase Four on. But I feel like the Phase 4 properties are really nailing it on the costumes. Great Scarlet Witch costume, Mm -hmm. love the new Captain America design. They've made Loki, uh, gave Loki a whole new iconic look with just a short sleeve button-down and a tie. Uh, Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, no, definitely.
1: And and all the various other Lokis...
2: even Black Widow, I think the costume she has at the in the final act of that movie is my favorite Black Widow costume throughout the throughout the franchise.
0: I, I I love that that movie gave an origin story to the vest she wore in Infinity War.
2: Normally a prequel giving like Bizarre origin stories to things we didn't ask for like <laughs> bothers me, but for some reason like it kind of worked for me with us. Yeah. Maybe because it wasn't like, oh, that's Natasha's classic vest. It's like, no, it was a thing she wore for a movie.
0: <laughs> Why was she blonde and had this vest? Well, here you go.
1: <laughs> I, I can't wait to get better looks at all the eternals, the looks and the costumes there. Yes.
2: I will say when the two seconds of Kumail Nanjiani in the Bollywood version of the costume. Yeah, why can't that be the costume? That looks spectacular.
0: Well, after the movie, it will be because that's the way of all things, right? It's like, well, this is the thing that people recognize, so now we have to, you know, retrofit and make it look like that in the uh, in the comics. So,
2: <laughs> I know, it's not Ribbit, get on it. <laughs> I know it's way too late to be playing any kind of armchair quarterback, but. Mm-hmm. Again, just that little bit of Kumail that we saw in the trailer Mm -hmm. made me wish that instead of him being in Eternals, he was in his own Bollywood reimagined Wonder Man movie.
1: Yeah. I want that. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes.
2: In in, in, yeah. in one in you know in one of the vary in one of the MCU variants on the multiverse.
0: There you go.
1: <laughs> oh, that's, the, a-
2: that's the variant where Kang is just dressed like Kevin Feige.
1: Or Kevin Feige. <laughs> love it, love it. You, you, you do have to understand, for those of you listening, right after Ben said that, both Dan and I, our eyes just went real wide, and it's just like, oh, we need this. Yeah. We, I, I need this in my life now.
0: Yeah, all, all due respect to Nathan Philly and that shit is good. Um.
2: <laughs> Inge- the whole concept of Wonder Man feels like something that the MCU would nail, like as an origin story, like slightly either actor at the top of his game or slightly washed up, total Hollywood ego maniac, and, like, and then gets powers and goes on like the whole character arc to become a hero. And now, like, they could even get meta with it where it's like, oh, it's the actor we cast to be Tony Stark in the in-universe Tony Stark biopic. Absolutely. Or just other weird directions. I don't know. I just think Wonder Man, I just have always thought the whole concept of an over-the-top Hollywood actor being a superhero in Wonder Man was just real fun.
0: Definitely. Although the the one the one, and I don't think this is a disqualifying flaw. The one flaw I see in this argument is, that as soon as you cast Wonder Man, you have assholes on the internet going, "Is this how they introduce Beast and other mutants into the MCU?" <laughs> At like referring to like late '70s Avengers Steve Englehart stories. Um, I just again not a disqualifying I, flaw.
1: <laughs> right, I, just discourse. I, I don't want to see. I think- <laughs> yeah, I just, I think I need, I need, they need to introduce mutants just so people will shut up about them introducing mutants. The no, no, no. Race. Don't
0: give the mouse the cookie. <laughs> 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 oh. But yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Ben, you're here. Uh, Dark Horse released your graphic novel, Renegade Rule, with uh, Rachel Sil- Silverstein and Sam Beck last month. Uh, mm-hmm. so we're going to talk about that. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read the solicit for the uh, listeners. The Manhattan Mist have beaten the odds to land themselves in the national championships for Renegade Rule, one of the hottest virtual reality games in existence. But they're in for competition fiercer than they ever imagined, and one team member's entire future could be at stake. Four queer female friends will have to play harder than ever against self-doubt, infighting, romantic distraction, and a slew of other world-class teams if they hope to become champions. So uh, what is is the origin of Renegade Rule? How did this all get conceived?
2: So Renegade Rule... The primary seed of it was I honestly really wanted to work with Rachel. She was like a good friend. I always thought she was so talented and funny and witty and such a good writer and I wanted to make a book with her. Uh and I just think like comics will be better if Rachel is making comics. <laughs> so um at the time Rachel really loved uh the game Overwatch. Uh-huh. So I kind of had that my I was just like like what can I come up with to entice her like into the story so uh and you know, and I've always had a real love of sports stories, you know, going back to that one year when I was eight, and I just rented all three mighty ducks movies in a in a three week cycle every week for a full year uh so, you know like Mighty Ducks bring it on uh, little giants mm-hmm. uh and like and like i shield twenty one and hike you um Space Jam, question mark.
1: <laughs> um, Rookie so, of the Year in Little Big League, those like nine. Oh, absolutely. Oh,
2: 100. Any, any movie where angels or other supernatural beings are helping people cheat at sports? <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> Sixth Man, where a ghost is helping them cheat? Hell yeah. <laughs> yes. Hell oh. yeah, that's my jam. Um, but no, so I definitely really like sports stories. And, you know, it was definitely just, you know, I started coming up with this around 2018. So it was just generally the time when, like, esports was, you know, getting, reaching a new level of um, well knownness or just mm-hmm. general, um, you know, what people, you know, even where people who don't play video games started knowing about esports as, like, at least their general knowledge of it. So and I also thought, oh, well, if you do esports and VR, then you can do the sports stories, but also have lasers and explosions and crazy sci fi outfits (laughs) uh, and then not have to come up with concepts and explanations for why there are lasers and explosions, because it's sports. So uh, so I kind of took Overwatch and just general or like, you know, that VR shooter game and they figured like, Let's just give it a bit of a traditional sports story, like, twist. Like, so often with gaming, it's like, you know, it's uh, Ready Player One, Sword Art Online, Dot .hack Sign. Like, oh, no, we're trapped in the virtual reality, or we have to save all the VR world. Like, what if the technology just worked fine? Like, what if if there weren't any issues with it? And just kind of gave, like, video games just, like, a regular old sports narrative that it kind of hasn't had. Or like, that. at least I couldn't remember it really having since like the wizard from 1993 in the nineties, when they first premiered that like super Mario brothers three, mm-hmm. which what a fucking commercial. Good on you, Nintendo. I, yes. No, imagine, a- absolutely. <laughs> like, can you imagine? Oh no. I hate that. I can imagine this. I was going to say, like, can you imagine they made like a new, like in the next Marvel movie, they just unveiled the next fallout game. It's like, oh, by the way, we announced Fallout in Ant-Man 3. Yeah, I there's,
0: said a, it, there's a way and to then do what
2: immedi- <laughs> I said it, but then what immediately popped in my head was Star Wars and Fortnite. And it's like, nope, let's start dialing that back. Yeah. Because <laughs> somehow Palpatine has returned in Fortnite. <laughs>
1: hey, Batman's already been there. I mean, it's, it's only a matter of time.
2: So I don't play Fortnite, but I will say so I did watch like a live stream when they did the Galactus event and that okay. was really really cool like that gave that was such a sense of scope and scale and menace to galactus that no comic has ever delivered and certainly no movie has cuz the only time they tried it was a fucking space cloud yeah <laughs> stop making space clouds hollywood we don't want <laughs> them
1: it didn't work for galactus it didn't work for parallax it's just it's just... Give us giant men in purple and big yellow space bug.
2: Yeah. Just take like the Xenomorph, up that saturation and brightness real real high. Like and There you go. Yeah. Yeah, but no, so that was kind of the original idea was just um giving uh creating like an esports scenario like giving you know, the classic tournament structure. And just go, and just giving it a really fun comedy action feel to it. And especially just make it an unabashedly, unambiguously queer book that maybe doesn't deal with some of the more traditional queer themes. And instead just gets to be an open and fun and like queer world where they then get to compete to be champions and make snarky jokes at each other constantly.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so um you know, we talked about you know you had a pre existing relationship with Rachel and you wanted to to work on uh on a book with her. Uh how about the you know, the rest of the team? You know, where does where does Sam Beck come into the equation? How does this book uh, you know, arrive at Dark Horse, uh all that stuff?
2: Yeah, so Sam uh came aboard because We were literally just looking through artists on Twitter. Like we were going through like portfolio day and women in women in comics hashtags. And we were just going around looking for people. Uh, And Rachel found Sam's artwork on Twitter and we just fell in love. And we just knew it was the perfect style. Uh, We reached out to her and thankfully she said yes and came aboard uh, for the book. Um, And then we, so we made the first chapter. We did the whole kind of first 22, 24 pages Mm -hmm. and i got that printed like i did a little self-printed run of that and we debuted it for a dollar at flame con in i think 2017 if i'm remembering years correctly i may not be um so we had like we tried to just uh get the first issue out there and then try to get a little word of mouth about it and uh then we pitched and then we started pitching and it took a little while and uh, it took a few places, but eventually, uh, you know, we got real lucky and it found its way to Dark Horse where there were some amazing voices and editors there who really believed in what we were trying to do and that this was a worthwhile story worth telling and really championed the book. And, uh, and we ended up working with Jenny Blank on it, uh, who was just the most absolute wonderful in the world. And, you know, it was just really great getting to bring this book home to Dark Horse
0: um does it does it help you know dark horse obviously has in the past few years has made a big push toward um you know not just the video game tie-in comics uh you know and obviously we'll talk about uh, immortals phoenix rising later on uh but also like the the art books and the encyclopedias
2: and and all that stuff how i know gorgeous are those art books and encyclopedias uh, like oh my god the legend of zelda one i yeah. don't even play legend of zelda and i want that art book
0: yeah, my, my son has the the Super Mario and the Zelda encyclopedia. And then I've got like the first two volumes of the, the Final Fantasy ones. And, oh, uh, my God. They're well made. Yeah. With,
2: all the, with all that painted artwork. Oh, yeah. that, look, oh, I bet that's gorgeous. Oh, that that's sounds amazing. Those art books are just so damn nice. Especially when it's Final Fantasy. I mean, that's just the most artsy series. Absolutely. Like, no, if there's it, any game series that should have, like, an l- exhibition at the Louvre, it's Final Fantasy. <laughs> Belongs in a museum.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, when it comes to video games, that's, that's my shit right there. I
2: mean, all um, the watercolors that artist that did, whose name I'm unfortunately blanking on. Yeah, and of course like, I am,
0: too. Shame on me.
2: <laughs> was that a mono? Uh, yes. Yes, Is you're sure. right. It was a mono.
0: I, I just kept thinking of uh, Nobo- Nobuo Omatsu, but that's the that guy was who exactly scored the it. games. My brain,
2: my brain was only giving me Nobuo Omatsu. I'm like, no, I know for a fact that's the guy who did the music. Give me a different name, brain. It was like only one I got. Sorry.
1: <laughs> and I, I just—he just only comes to mind because I think of Dream Hunters, the book he did with Neil Gaiman. Oh,
2: oh dad, yes, I remember that. Oh, art is great. It sure is. It's so beautiful. People are making such incredible things with art. It's so pretty. Fucking, we made, we made words on a document and Sam turned that into a fucking comic. And it's so pretty and full of life and emotion and color. And ah, Sam is awesome.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, you know, speaking speaking of all of that, I, I think I read in an interview, I think it was in the beat, that you and Rachel actually acted out dragging each other across the floor for like photo reference for Sam. For yes, we scenes. needed
2: to know if it would be funnier to do it by the wrist, by the ankle, like what would make sense in terms of like balloon layout. Honestly, a lot of things were us like making faces and hand gestures, and then being like, well, I don't know how the fuck to describe that, so I guess we're just screenshotting it
0: uh that that sounds like a fun package of uh images to get in your inbox one day
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean it was in general as a, for comics writing, I'm a big believer in embedding reference images just directly into the script mm-hmm. um I mean the comic scripts are a unique writing where you're really your only audience necessarily is the artist and making mm-hmm. sure they can understand it and so it, anything you can do up to it, including like images, however you need to word it, whether flowery, poetic dialogue, like language is better, or just very curt to the point, direct, uh, like however you need to make it best understood to the artist mm-hmm. is one of the main goals in terms of clarity in a comic writing script. So if you have something that you're trying to describe and you don't think, and you can't Figure out how to describe it just so I can put a reference image in. Save everyone a lot of time.
0: Makes sense. There's
2: Excellent. nothing wrong with it.
0: So um, I, I, I saw that uh, Rachel specializes in comic book law. Um, that has to be a very handy person to have around, I imagine, as you're, as you're shopping scripts and all that.
2: She also has a degree in paleontology. Holy she is my, the most educated. She is the most educated like person I know. She is like a mammoth. She is a mammoth archaeologist, lawyer, comic writer.
1: That is awesome. Right? That's one of those people that you know shows up on uh, oh, is it to tell the truth, or one of those game shows. Like I do all these things, and like, are you really that person? Yes, I am really the most interesting person in the world.
2: She is. She is so damn interesting. Uh, No, and honestly, it's like we always had a lot of fun working on it. Like, I've done a few different ways of co-writing, and this was the this was a unique one where uh, we didn't trade it back and forth Mm -hmm. at any point. Like, this was every part of this was written uh, with us either physically together in the same room or over. Zoom or FaceTime. Like, so every panel description, every line of dialogue, that's us making that decision together in real time, like about every step of it. And really, writing it just became a great way for us to just hang out and make each other laugh. And that became a lot of the dialogue it was just us trying to one up each other and make the other one laugh and come up with something that would shock the other. And then just daring us to keep it in the book. And then, like, we just kept building off of that. So, I hope the feeling of fun and friendship comes through because that was certainly the spirit in which it was created.
0: It definitely does. Uh, You know, was, was this all happening, you know, when you were working on the script, Uh, you know, is this pre or during COVID?
2: This was pre COVID because the book was originally scheduled to come out in October of 2020 and then COVID happened and it was delayed uh, to 2021. Mm Mm-hmm so yeah so we had we had it all done but um you know we still live a little we still live a fair distance away so sometimes it's a bit of a schlep so easier to just still hop on so it was Facetime because zoom wasn't a thing because pandemic wasn't a thing yet mm-hmm.
0: so uh you know uh, esports because that's the world that we're dealing with here you know was that something that you already had working knowledge of is it something you had to do you know, research for for the book. You know, it's funny you mentioned The Wizard before because, like, this was where I was going to put in... Listen, Matt and I are a couple old fucks, so my idea of esports was the climatic scene of The Wizard where they're just playing
2: that one, uh, like, three-game uh, pack. Yeah, and it's great. How great is that scene? Uh, I don't know if that's what video game competitions are like, but it should be. <laughs> um, no, so Rachel was more of the... Source into like esports. She followed along the professional Overwatch league log um, a lot, so she was more into it as like a fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I approached it much more in terms of like the sports movie narrative. So I was basing this mm-hmm. off like, well, I know how like the NCAA tournament is structured, so that's gonna be how I structure it. Like with this thing with like the quarterfinals, best of like eight, and then the single elimination rounds. Um, and, you know, just a lot of that, the themes, especially the themes of there aren't really villains. There's just people all going for what they believe in and what they want, but it just happens to be in a zero-sum uh, conflict where no matter how good or likable like everyone is, uh, somebody has to win and someone still has to lose. Mm-hmm. So that, and I also, if not competitive and multiplayer, uh, I definitely have... A real love of shooter games. I feel like I spent all of middle school and high school at one friend or another's house, like on weekends, just playing Halo until two in the morning. (laughs) Um, So, whether it's like Halo, Half Life 2, uh, you know, Doom, Resistance, like I've got a big love, especially for uh, sci fi first person shooters. Mm -hmm. So, again, to just put as much of that as I could, of just like, if not professional competitive esports, all my love of shooters uh, into these into the world.
0: Okay. I uh, I should point out I, one more uh, film rec. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but you know from thinking about video game competitions. I don't know if you've ever seen the 2007 seven documentary uh, "King of Kong: A Fistful of
2: Quarters." Oh, I hear that's so interesting. I I haven't seen it, but with the high scores and whether or not the guy cheated, like, oh, Mm -hmm. that just – how is that not already an AMC show?
0: Oh, that would make a good, like, two-hander drama. Oh, yeah.
2: The whole world, especially, like, kind of, like, from the heyday of the arcade scene to as it gets – crazier if more insular like through the 2000s like just that world of arcades and high score kings mm-hmm. absolutely like if they like halt and catch fire was about the people who used computers instead of making them
1: yeah I mean, i'm sure there's a game you could license and use for your kind con- i mean who's using Cubert right now
2: <laughs> no one you can get the cubert license for a buck 20 exactly.
1: <laughs> two guys playing cubert on screen while talking the entire game. there you go real easy
2: yeah
0: <laughs> uh christopher Cantwell, if you're listening and you're not there's your next uh, <laughs> amc show um but it's like you know we keep bringing it back to to sports and video games and kind of the marriage of the two uh you know, in, in doing the research and prepping for this, this interview, uh, I was kind of look, looking up some of the history of esports. And this one paragraph I, drew me in such a way that I actually ha- – I just copy pasted it, wrote from the Wikipedia, and I'm going to read it now. Um, <clears throat> Evo Mo- Moment 37, also known as the Daigo Par- Parry, refers to a portion of a Street Fighter III third-strike semifinal match held at Evolution Championship S- Series 2004 between Daigo Umahara and Justin Wong. During this match, Umahara made an unexpected comeback by parrying 15 consecutive hits of Wong's super art move while having only one pixel of vitality. Umehara subsequently won the match. Evo moment 37 is frequently described as the most iconic and memorable moment in the history of competitive video gaming compared to sports moments such as Babe Ruth's cold shot and the miracle on ice. Wow. That's some
2: shit right there. (laughs) That's that's some ranks to be among. Absolutely. I'd argue that all these sci-fi writers doing their crazy big mythic sci-fi epics. Mm-hmm. have nothing on the crazy shit that happens in eve online like that's uh, do you guys know about that game i i don't I, I, that's I, like this I, whole spaceship it. management but there people are like it's so you're there's so much like whole sci-fi epics like wars are waged with like epic betrayals and fortunes of like the size of the galaxies just wiped out Like there's all the, like the game developers, I mean, that the players all on their own, just playing in this sandbox, like created something there. It's like, fuck off, Isaac Asimov. The foundation could never.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I, I will say, you know, esports if it it feels like one of those things where it's like, if I was 20 years younger, I, I wonder if that's something that I would have gone for, or it would have been just another sport for me to quit after track and soccer and t-ball and wrestling and what i was really good at quitting sports
2: as a kid
0: <laughs> oh man things to brag about we definitely
2: huh? we definitely tried to approach it with each of the characters kind of hopefully uh people can either see how they themselves play video games or they recognize how friends play whether it's like the angry healer the person more interested in the story and lore Mm-hmm. The person who's just fucking around and not paying attention to anything and the person who's like really into it and competitive to win. So we tried to, that was definitely something that like kind of trying to represent a broad variety of gamer experiences and or attitudes towards gaming mm-hmm. uh, was definitely a core thing on our minds when we were developing the four main characters.
0: Yeah, uh, at the risk of Cosmo quizzing this, of uh, the four of them, in terms of gameplay styles, at
2: least uh, I am definitely a Jesse. That's a lot how I play. Like, cause I get, I stick to like, I'm with Tanya. Like, I love the lore and the stories. Mm-hmm. I like just fucking around. If I see a cliff, I'm like, well, I want to see if this fall damage is going to kill me.
0: that's <laughs> uh, how, how you break the game. Go explore. Yeah,
2: them. exactly. <laughs> Shoot the cone
0: uh, so uh i will i will pepper in one of our uh twitter questions here uh oh, the, the uh the loyalist content consumer asimov fangirl asks uh what would you recommend uh to read or watch for uh people who want to know about, more about esports
2: or play <laughs> oh what would i recommend um hmm. again this is where i'm stuck because like i personally don't watch too many esports and i'm trying to think of other esports stories and i'm like i can't think of any we broke new ground what (laughs) you gonna do about it y'all uh no i believe elliot page is working on a project about uh competitive gaming that is looking to take a more realistic view of it because i think because something with our take on professional gaming on esports was hey i think like the vr changes it like definitely takes it into more of the that sci-fi fantasy realm Mm -hmm. and be like you know what we kind of wanted to just create a very like accepting world where we didn't have to deal with racism or homophobia Mm -hmm. or sexism a world where we could have for a, a team of all queer women of like different ethnicities like competing in this and they don't have to deal with any of that bull any of the bullshit they inevitably have to deal with in real life. So, and they can just focus on having like a fun, crazy adventure. Uh, but I, I think that I hope that there are stories that really explore the world and all of its thrills, all the incredibleness it has to offer and also its darker sides and the, and the other side of that instant of that fame always brings. Mm-hmm. So I hope there are more realistic esports stories that come around. Um, sword Art Online? No, I can recommend Sword Art. Don't watch Sword Art Online. Don't do it. <laughs> okay. At the very least, watch .hack sign. Uh, but no, I, I mean, I feel like I'd recommend more traditional sports stories because it's still – The narrative. It's always the thrill of competition, the drive to improve, and the passion to just go after your dreams. So, again, I'd recommend, you know, like a Haikyuu. You can check it out. Like, the the anime about volleyball. Like, I don't know. I just feel like that has so, like, that's something that just has so much of the best of not just sports stories, but also just so good at communicating and making Contagious just the absolute thrill and joy and pain and challenge and triumph of sports.
1: Um, okay, so for those who haven't read the book and want to avoid spoilers for the end, uh, just jump ahead like five minutes because I'm about to go into spoiler territory. Um, I loved the end of the book that this isn't the miracle on ice. This is the bad news bears uh, that the higher ranking team wins, uh, but there's a different kind of victory for the mist was, was that bad news bears ending always what you had in mind, or was there the temptation to do that more common sports story ending where the scrappy underdogs pull off the shocking victory?
2: Uh, you know, maybe in like the very, earliest, like when it was Nebulous, but by the time we were really putting pen to paper and outlining it, uh, we kind of had in our heads that, like, they were going to lose the finals. Uh, And that's, again, that's bad news bears. Like, again, this is, they're not quite so scrappy coming behind that they can beat Michael Jordan, Uh, but, you know, they always come up with the crazy, the creative, they always... Uh, solution you know they break the game a little bit in order to win uh, which I always thought was a good thing we could keep consistent and throughout uh, but yeah it just felt more true to bad news bears uh, bring it on and how the team and bring it on to lose at the end was definitely a big influence uh, that again another great sports movie bring it on and anyone who says it's not a sports movie is just wrong just objectively wrong um, But yes, so pretty early on, again, and I think it was a lot about that bad news bears energy, like them winning it all didn't feel right. Them getting their asses kicked, but still finding their own way to win. It just really just felt right for this story. And, you know, then that was a whole other thing was being, was from a writing standpoint was that challenge of like, okay, we've now spent like 80 pages being very clear about what our singular goal is and we just took that away and now we need to establish this new goal and make sure that both the protagonists are on board with this new goal the antagonists are on board with this new goal and like the audience is on board because the when the the plot shifts from win finals to defeat gabby it doesn't work if Gabby's response is, eh, we've got the vinyl, the match sewn up. Like, who cares if she wins this match? Like, so it has, so that was just a really, it felt was, It felt like just in every way the right ending for the book, but it was definitely a writing challenge we had to approach. We had to really try to think through to make sure that this, that the audience could stay invested in this shift. So hopefully we pulled it off. Definitely. Yeah. So,
0: uh, renegade rule came out June 2nd. Uh, we're talking about it July 26th for a podcast. it will be out August 3rd, putting it about two months after release because comics are largely still a, a periodical driven market, you know, hype usually disappears for a book within a few days of release. Sadly, you know, what, what do you do to extend that shelf life? Because it is your baby and you do want to keep sharing it with the world.
2: Uh, you know, partly it's stuff like this. Like, make sure to try to keep uh, appearing and talking about it and getting it back on people's radars. Um, you know, it's also partly just the difference in release. Like, again, just the OGN release is a little different than the floppy release. So, we, you know, there is that trade off where we don't have that extended four months of release, then, like, then the trade a highlight like, build up. So, It's a lessened kind of sales cycle, but it's also definitely the right format for the story and especially the audience, like kind of the core audience for this book. Um, And it being the graphic novel is definitely let it be, let it be focused more on those, uh, on that core audience. And especially in libraries, are we seeing, uh, it seems that people are really finding the book and discovering it in libraries, which is. Just awesome to see because who doesn't? Libraries are awesome. Hell yeah, libraries! Like that just that just gives them a, me all the warm and fuzzies that like it is now in a place where people who can find it and pick it up and read it and it's just ah, it's just like there's nothing cooler to me about this job than that people are actually like that people are actually reading these stories that came out of that came out of like me and Rachel's head. Like it's, it's just. It's fucking awesome. People are, I, we made a comic and now people are reading it. Holy fuck. That's crazy.
1: That, that, that joy is contagious. It I is. It love is. it. <laughs> uh, so uh, we mentioned it briefly earlier, uh, but you wrote a tie-in comic uh, for Immortals Phoenix Rising. Yes. Um, when writing a video game tie-in, what, what does the studio ask for? How involved was Ubisoft in the process of the production on a book like, like that?
2: So, this was honestly, it was a wonderful process. Like, it was, it was such a great process working with Ubisoft and Dark Horse on this. It was my first work for Hire Book, my first time working in a pre existing franchise, and it, it, was a, it was a dream of an experience. Uh, Yusuf gave us a really, really great um, chunk of story to tell. So we actually get to tell like pretty much we pick up on after the most recent like DLC with Phoenix, and we pick up like right after that. So this is pretty much Phoenix's story like after the game. If you want to find out what happens after the events of the game, we get we got to be the ones to tell that that those events, which is just really. Um, especially because there's all the plot twists regarding godhood and parenthood uh, at the end of the game And then, you know, we got to explore that, which is just a super fun part of the story to get to tell And then, you know, we, we really worked together and just crafted uh, what we thought would be a real fun adventure That kind of satisfied everything, like got the, with the character arcs that the series needed to be on And would fit within the length we were going for and then it was like, they were great. Like we just developed what we thought would be the most interesting part of the story to tell. And then, you know, they gave a lot like, um, you know, they created a really fun world full of characters. Like I loved getting to work God with Zeus. Like there, there's a lot of Zeus in this comic. <laughs> uh, Cause I love writing terrible people and there's no one more fun and terrible than Zeus. <laughs> the Charles Xavier of gods. <laughs> Oh, he's the worst, which makes him the best. <laughs> uh, and again, that was really fun. Like that's, you know, Zeus is speaking all throughout the game, but is apart from Phoenix throughout. So the, it's, again, like kind of some of the first time we get to really see Zeus and Phoenix and interacting with each other and their relationships. So it was just a lot of fun. Like I couldn't have asked for a better and cooler, like first work for higher project. And it was especially great getting to work with Giorgio Brooks, whose art I love. Uh, This will not be the last time you see us working together. I bet. Um, And he's just has such a great, cool style. And I think is just going to give it such like a fun, more more kid-friendly feel to the world. That and again then the story's a little more the a little more kid friendly than the game we aimed for a more all ages um tone, which I again I thought the game does a good job of kind of straddling that all ages while still having some adult humor mm-hmm. line very well. Uh so you know, it's just looking to be a really fun book that I'm really excited for people to get to see, especially for fans of the game.
0: Yeah. Got gotta be careful with Zeus and uh
2: all ages comments. <laughs> You know what? You, every book has its writing challenges.
0: <laughs> uh, every time he turns into an animal, and uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> so in what state of existence, you know, is the game when you're approached to write the book? You know, is it out yet? Cause it came out like uh, was it last fall? No, the game like wasn't
2: out yet, but the script was finished. So I got the completed game script. Okay so I read about 600 pages in about a week of video game script to really just go a full deep dive. Cause I really wanted to make, cause again, first work for hire, first time working on a franchise, I really wanted to make sure I understood the sense of humor that the game has its mm-hmm. style of humor, its tone, these characters, how they talk like their speaking patterns. So, um, you know, again, knock on wood, hopefully I did a good job. Um, really being able capturing the feel of the game because it was a really fun script to get to read through. And, and I love Greek mythology. So uh, it was a blast just getting to work, getting see it just, and getting to see a new version of these gods and then getting to write them was just awesome. Like, uh, Athena, Athena doesn't show up for very much in the book, but she was a lot of fun.
1: So so, uh, I'm going to kind of be a killjoy for a minute, but it's the kind of question that with some of the stuff that came out this past week, as we're recording, it's kind of something that I think bears at least a a discussion. Um, Cause last week as we're recording uh, a big news within video games came with the Activision blizzard lawsuit about that, that frat boy hostile work environment. And you just wrote a book about women in gaming. Um, and it's not like comics have the best track record with these kind of issues either. Um, as a creator, as someone who works, is how do you work in that industry with these systemic issues and try to make it better? And I ask this not as a gotcha, but as someone who struggles with this kind of line of thinking myself.
2: I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I just try to be the best I can, put the work into being. I just try to act work to be a good and productive part of the community and uh, be someone who's hopefully just, um, you know, and I just putting out books that are hopefully putting out good messages and sending this kind of signals about what we want to see in this industry. I mean, it's, it's tough. Yeah, it's 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 i mean I, it that's a complex thing and i i i don't really know uh i I just know that I'm, I'm i'm trying my uh you know i don't really fully know how but just trying to figure out how to keep do the work and keep doing the work and work hard at it
1: think any of us can do uh,
0: and now for an abrupt <laughs> one eighty on tone um what have you What have you been playing recently?
2: Oh, so I haven't been playing much recently. I'm um, uh, between day job and deadlines and mm-hmm. uh, the podcast I do with Jeremy Whitley and Emily Martin, where we talk about horror movies. Um, I have not had very much time. Um, I've been playing a little Immortals Phoenix Rising. I'm trying. I'm catching okay. up on the game now, uh, and I've been playing. I played uh, the new Pokemon Snap. So after okay. 20 years, I'm back taking photos of Pokemon, <laughs> having myself a nice relaxing time. Uh, I spent a good chunk of the pandemic playing, replaying the, all the Halo trilogy. So that was a fun time down nostalgia shooter lane. Mm-hmm.
0: Were, were, you, uh, were, were you sucked in by the, uh, the Pokemon Go uh, craze of 2016? How was it
2: that long ago? When it first came out... Now, here's the thing. I'm really big into Pokemon. Okay. My favorite part of it... And I love that there's so many different parts of Pokemon. Everyone can have a different favorite part. It's mm-hmm. There's a lot to love. Uh, that's, a whole, that's a whole can of worms. That's a whole... <laughs> that I could talk about forever. But my particular favorite part of Pokemon is building a team of like finding six pokemon that i think are really cool and go well together and are balanced and raising them all the way from like when they're in like their little baby forms all the way in their little all the way to their big mega level 100 badasses and just and just battling with them so pokemon go since it didn't really have that like team building element or even especially when it wants a battling much of a battling mechanic Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of felt like oh the thing I love the most about the main game isn't here so I'm good I mean I did eventually start playing more of it uh, in order to catch Meltan and Melmetal so I could complete my uh, living Pokedex but then I did eventually catch Meltan and Melmetal so then I stopped again (laughs) Uh, that was one of the things I did early on in the pandemic was I said well I suddenly have a lot more time I'm gonna catch every Pokemon. I am going to catch them all. <laughs> and I did. Kept you active all during eight, those days. All eight hundred all eight hundred and ninety-eight. Weeks.
0: Yeah, that's a lot. They don't out out all fit in the Pokemon rep anymore.
2: <laughs> again, I did start out like when I started this is, I already had about six hundred or so. Okay. Because again i love pokemon so i've honestly just been transferring since like i've been playing since Red and blue so i've honestly been just transferring certain pokemon like over and over like i have a septile my favorite pokemon i have a septile i've had like since pokemon emerald
1: wow okay like, it's
2: over it, that that thing's a teenager now <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, my pokemon can vote <laughs>
1: I'm now picturing you having leveled the these the six Pokemon and they work together in the same way that a Krokoan circuit does. That they you know, that they, they they ramp each other up and become this sort of massive Pokemon exactly. thing.
2: Exactly. And that's and to me that's the fun, is like every new game making a new team. Which is why I'm waiting for them to wait fucking six months for them to give any news about the uh Sinnoh remakes. Mm. There's no idea which cheap Pokemon are even gonna be in that game. How can I plan a team if I don't know who's gonna be in the game?
0: <laughs> I need months to prepare.
2: Kinda. <laughs> a lot of thought goes into these teams.
1: Absolutely. Fair. It's
2: mostly based off who I think is the coolest, but I overthink it a lot.
1: <laughs> are you- You're you're talking to two guys who have, on more than one occasion, sat back and go, All right, let's put together our ideal X Men. And it just shifts around. Magic and dupe. That's Mm. it. Just magic and dupe.
2: (laughs) Magic and dupe, being best friends and solving crimes. Magic and dupe.
1: I would read that book. Yeah.
0: Yeah. uh Hick- Hickman and Mike Allred,
2: get on that. Uh <laughs> right.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah, there we go. I don't
2: have any connections there. I can't pitch these books. <laughs> Somebody else pitch them for me.
0: <laughs> so uh you 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 mentioned this, uh so segues quite nicely. In addition to your comics work, you co-host a, a horror movie podcast, Progressively Horrified, with uh past guest in front of the show, Jeremy Whitley. Uh how'd you get it how did that get started?
2: So Jeremy so, partly Jeremy was watching a horror movie every night of in October last year. Okay. And then at the same time, I was like, me and a few other people like, had never seen Jennifer's body. Okay. So, that became like our first thing where it was like, well, we're, well, let's all watch Jennifer's body and then let's record us doing a recap discussion of it. And then that was a lot of fun. So, we kind of kept doing it. And we kind of figured, like, let's make this, like, a podcast. Like, let's do, like, a horror movie every week. Like, it was definitely, like, because we liked doing Jennifer's Body. And it turns out there's a lot to say and a lot of horror movies with a lot of interesting themes. And, um, you know, we did a few episodes. And then, uh, like, Emily Martin had been, like, the guess, like, the first, like, two. And then just kind of became, like, the permanent, like, not, like, the third permanent host of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And along, and, like. You know, me and Jeremy and then a few other, And then, so that was how the three of us kind of crystallized. Uh, And then we've just been doing, again, doing this since October. And it has been an absolute blast. We've had a lot of great guests on, talking about a lot of fun movies. And it's been great. Uh, You know, we did Bit. And then we interviewed the director of Bit, uh, Mm. which was so much fun. And then he came on and we did Demon Night, and, you know, we had Vita Ayala on for Annihilation. Nice. And yeah, we've had um, just a lot of great guests uh, doing a lot of fun stuff. And it's been, honestly, it's just been awesome, Again, especially in the pandemic, just having a, watching a new movie and getting to talk about it with a bunch of great people uh sam uh again the artist on renegade rule was on for velvet buzzsaw which if you haven't seen is fantastic and stars jake joe and Rene renee russo oh oh wow hmm. right huh yeah horror in the fine art world it's on netflix it's fantastic
1: okay slipped under my radar i need to check
2: that out <laughs>
0: um what so what, are, what what's your base you know what are what are a couple of your your fave horror movies uh, the
2: Shining. Uh, I really like Alien. So there's like I love the horror, and then I love, love like horror comedy, like Evil Dead okay. Two, mm-hmm. Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Mm-hmm. Love that movie. Like what we do in the shadows. Yup. Mm-hmm. Classic. Yup. Um, and then you know, so many of these horror movies are just so damn. Inventive and fun, or they're tackling themes that other movies aren't. Uh, really, once you're freed from the hero's journey, you end up just getting a lot of experimental stuff. Okay. Like we did, like we did Candyman recently, um, which was awesome. Like I mean, I, I'd never seen it before, and Tony Todd is incredible. Oh
0: mm-hmm. yeah. I yeah. Uh, Looking
1: forward I, to the new Jordan Peele produced Candyman that's finally coming out yes. next month. I think I think it's it's finally getting an August release, and I'm like I can't wait.
0: <laughs> we'll I was gonna say I'm, I'm sitting here like, did that come out? I was about to ask like, did you mean the original or the reboot? Did the reboot ever come out?
1: <laughs> next month, finally. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Which. <laughs>
2: our episode of Candyman will be going up right around when that's out. So there you go.
1: Synergy. Exactly.
2: <laughs> it, it's like the, um,
0: the Dune remake. I feel like the Dune remake has been in various stages of coming soon for like five years. So you just forget, you know, it'll, it'll drop in the fall and be like, Oh, I
2: thought they came out already. Uh, um, that movie looks great. I've never read Dune. I haven't seen the original movie, but this new one looks
1: wild speaking of oscar, oscar isaacs right yeah oh yeah no, as, the, I, as the gruff is looking dad yep that, that that is that that's that is the duke of treaties to, to a t oh I, I cannot i'm very excited for that movie
2: yeah i want to see the green knight apparently that's yes. supposed to be amazing
1: yes that dro- that drops friday uh, i'm so gonna be like Hey, I'm visiting family this this weekend, and I'm like, "Hey, brothers, why don't we all go to a movie together on Friday afternoon? No, you, you like movies I'm going to drag you with me.
2: I got my sister's wedding this weekend, but I'm hoping I can duck out early and check out Green Knight.
1: My brother's wedding is this weekend.
2: So. Hey, how about that? We got sibling weddings. I Hello. mean, we got some exciting movies coming out. We got Green Knight this Friday, then next Friday's uh, Suicide Squad. Yes. Oh, shit. I didn't realize that. Yes.
1: That? Next Friday. I am very excited. I mean, Kaiju Starro on the big screen. That's going to be great. I I, mean, I never thought I would see Kaiju Starro on, uh, on, you know, the big screen. But thank you, James Gunn, you magnificent, deranged bastard.
2: I think the character I'm most hyped for is Polka-Dot Man. Yes. Is that is that Mal- is that David Dasmalkian? It, it is. Uh, yeah, he has, he has the the show. David Dasmalkian, who has appeared in now, I love it. He has appeared in the Dark Knight trilogy, mm-hmm. the MCU, uh-huh. the Arrowverse, and the DCEU,
1: and Gotham, I think. Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah. He is a jack-of-all-comic. Book universe trades. Yeah,
2: he's on God. Wow! If there is a superhero universe, eventually the odds of David Dasmalkian being in it approaches one hundred percent.
1: It really does. I love that. not he going to be in Dune too? I, I think he, he's got it. Mean, no. he, he, is he? Yeah. That, that's wild. Yeah, he's oh right. He's Petered. Oh, that is a great role too. Oh, oh, he is. He's right. Oh wow! Only James Gunn could get me this excited for Polka Dot Man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sylvester Stallone as King Shark.
1: Yeah. Oh, and Idris Elba. I would watch. I would watch Idris Elba read the phone book.
2: Yes. Oh, I-, I am hopeful for a major movie that finally gives Idris Elba like the- his full due. No, I did. I did love him in Hobbs and Shaw. Yes,
1: yeah. he was. He was. It's delightful in Hobbs and Shaw, but he's never gotten the film role that equals either The Wire or Luther.
2: God, he's so... I love him in, in like that. I feel like that's what really turned me on to Idris Elba was Luther. Yeah, me too. Such a good show. Especially that first series. Yes. Um, yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean, because like he was always underutilized in the Thor movies. Star Trek buried him under all that awful ma under all that like crazy makeup. Um, the Dark
1: Tower. <laughs> oh, don't, don't. The, it, the, 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 I, I, I'm s- still wounded from, from the, from, and, and not, you know, he did. the The cast did everything they could, but
2: no. Oh. oh, you know what he is. You know what movie he's in that he's that both he is dope and the movie is dope. Pacific
1: Zetopia. Grimm. Oh yes, Pacific Grim. Yes. He's awesome in Pacific Grim. He oh yeah. The, absolutely. And and by the way, I had completely forgotten and I just I brought up his IMDb when we were talking, but uh is also in the animated uh, Long Halloween adaptation as Calendar Man.
2: That's amazing. Oh, wow. well, he, again, he is in every superhero universe. He
1: absolutely is. When is he
2: going to be in The Boys? Eventually it's going to happen.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. Or a voice on Invincible, Invincible. or something. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. There's, there's, maybe he'll eventually be that the, the mad scientist dinosaur that Invincible teams up with. I, I, I would go for that. Yeah, that'd be dope.
2: God, I forgot about that story arc with the mad scientist dinosaur. Yeah. I think that was around the time when I was starting to, like, my pulleys was starting to get a little big and I had to do a little pruning. Mm.
1: Uh, so, uh, now, now, Ben, mm-hmm. you, you were brought to our attention after I had made a tweet about how we'd had a run of guests uh, who, for our Pet Corner segment, were all all about dogs. And I, I, I love dogs. But I needed some, some good cat content. Yes. So I, tell us I, about your
2: cat. I will run and get him. Can you wait one second? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. It's, a small, it's a very small apartment. It will not take much time. <laughs> Sounds good.
0: <laughs> Listeners, I've had a good run, but I'm happy to yield the floor.
2: <laughs> oh, hello. It's Blargy. It's hi, the Blargy hi. monster. Say hello, Blargy. Hi,
1: Blargy. Are you Blargy
2: monster? <laughs> ah.
0: Now is Blargy its its official name or, or like yes. a nickname. Okay,
2: okay. No, his name is Blargy. He is named after it's a fun word. That,
1: <laughs> that is We got him. He, he just looks like a Blargy. I, I can definitely see some Blarginess there. Absolutely.
2: He's a very Blargy kitty. Aren't you Blargy? <laughs>
1: is, is Blargy a, you know? lounge about cat or uh, oh yeah furry. no he, okay. a big,
2: he a big loungy boy <laughs> he's got his spots he likes them he wants things he likes things crinkly or with sharp corners and i guess he his softness cancels out the hard corners <laughs> yeah. he'll be on a soft bed and he'll go for like the book on the bed and he'll just sleep on and i'll sit on that no he is a big soft cuddly like love boy he is a little soft kitty man
1: yeah yeah. He,
2: just, he, love, he will just roll over for belly rubs all the <laughs> live <little> long day.
1: <laughs> yeah, our best wandered off a little bit ago, but she is also the, the the lovey lap cat versus Cal, who's just like, I'm going to explore. I'm going through the house. I'm looking at everything. I've looked at everything already. He doesn't, already, he do doesn't put
2: himself in my lap.
1: I put him in my lap, and then he just stays there <laughs> when he
2: when he'd wants to.
1: That is is very cat. They do what they want when they want. hmm
2: No, he's, he is the best boy except in four in the morning when he's meowing in our face for food.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm. We get 4 a.m. Going to wedge myself in between you and get love. P- pet me. Pet me in the middle of the night.
2: Oh, uh, would. I, w- I wish we had that. We would be down for petting him in the middle of the night. He would love bedtime snuggles, but no, he just like wails at us to get him food. Mm-hmm.
1: The, the, the 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 nighttime pets and snuggles are great until she then decides, okay, you've pet me, now I'm gonna become your face. It's like, okay, <laughs> no no Bess. Down. Down. You can snuggle up at our midsections, not in the face. Not in the face.
2: gee, well, how come you never do face snuggles? <laughs> <laughs> how come you're not a face hugger from alien? <laughs> Uh, you yeah, know he's he my big belly rub boy
0: <laughs> my uh my two dogs we have two miniature dachshunds and uh our older one chewy uh usually sleeps at the foot of the bed uh you know kind of curled up by our feet but then our our younger one lola whom we affectionately call derp uh likes to sleep try to sleep on top of our pillows so <laughs> basically she'll be like right behind my head all night and and for some reason the our the mattress on our bed is like a little short so there's like a gap between the the edge of the mattress and the uh the headboard where if she's not careful she could just sort of fall through in the middle of the night and get startled um but that's that's her perch um (laughs) but uh uh what are you reading right now
2: Oh, I am, let's see, I feel like my pull is just getting bigger and bigger um, all the time. Like, I just read the first issue of Superman and the Authority. Mm. Very excited to see what Morrison's got cooking. They've always got a great story. Uh, I'm really liking Wonder Woman. Mm. I'm I'm really liking, in terms of the indies, I'm really liking uh, We Only Find Them When They're Dead, Mm. Mm. as well as Department of Truth. Yeah, are really good. Uh, I'm going through the trades of Invisible Kingdom from G. Will Wilson and Christian Ward. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? What else? I feel like there's always the Uh I'm I'm enjoying... You know what? I'm always down for Justice League. They're my favorite super team. They always make me happy with Justice League. Uh, oh, Black Widow and Daredevil are really good books right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, really anything from... Jeff Lemire's Black Hammer universe is an instant buy for me. That franchise just does not mess.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, how how caught up are you on Department of Truth? Are you have you started the Bigfoot hunt? Yes. Okay.
2: Yes. Uh, so I'm all caught up, I believe.
0: Yeah, that. Uh, you know, you know those letters in the uh, in the in the first part of yeah. like the guy writing to his son.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, yep. The, those are gonna take a turn.
2: <laughs> oh. oh, I bet.
0: Yeah, it's that's oh. some real sad, sad dad shit.
2: <laughs> it, it's been re- That's been real good. Um, yeah. And then uh, what else have I been reading? There's there's lots of good stuff out there. I don't know. I'd have to. Oh, Nightwing. Definitely enjoying the current Nightwing run
1: the Bat books in general are firing really high between the, the main books and Nightwing and Rom V's Catwoman. Yeah. Is, is great fun. Great book. Yeah. I, I mean, Tinian is just, and he's another one. It's like, just how can you write so many books in one month and they all remain good? Oh, first issue
2: of uh static was amazing. Yes. Really enjoyed that. And then uh, what I oh just the other day, I really liked uh, the first issue of uh, Ordinary Gods. Oh okay, It was a, yeah. was a real, real was a real good first issue. So I'm excited for more of that.
0: Yeah, I'm enjoying Higgins' uh, Radiant Black. That 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 one's a lot of fun. Yeah, Ben, this has yeah. uh, this has been great. Uh, it's been an hour. Uh, final question: How can people follow you online and keep up with uh, Renegade Rule and Immortals Phoenix Rising and everything else you have going on?
2: Yes, uh, you can find me. I'm mostly on Twitter, making silly jokes uh, at at Ben the Con. Uh, you can find links to all of my graphic, to all my works at benconcomics.com. Uh, digit, you know, there's physical links, and everything I've written has been on is digital you know um, heavenly blues griffin uh renegade rule and immortals phoenix rising is uh, available for from great beginnings is available for pre-order and uh renegade rule can be purchased uh, at any local bookstore through dark horse
0: right ben thank you so much
2: for coming on the show thank you so much for having me this has been a total blast
0: that's it for this week's show as a reminder wm q a is part of comics xf meaning you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom and Chris's on Infinite Earths, and a ton of great comics criticism at comicsxf.com. You can listen to wmq and on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at comicsxf.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support wmq and at patreon.com slash wmqcomics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Lazowitz built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. A $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail for my collection. A $3 donation gets you a slot in the XF staff picks. And a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from Toxman at ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, and Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. the loyalist content consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember, that one time Pete Wisdom stopped a vampire invasion from the moon. WMQA!